Hello and welcome back to a review edition of the Parramatta Podcast. I'm your Sunday night host, John, also known as 4020, and joining me today, my good mates, Bertie. Los Tigres del Isto Son Cero y Cinco. Now, if you put that in the Google translation, that means the West Tigers are zero and five. So, so Bertie asked us to stop the podcast recording for a few seconds so he can get it organized, and I figured this is what he was big ace up the sleeve was. Was that right, Bertie? Yeah, I was just... Um you know, practicing my Spanish, even though, you know, watching a lot of the Queen of the Nile sort of thing. <laughs> Queen of the South, sorry. That's it. Uh, beautiful, yeah. mate. And Ham, how you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good now. I'm fantastic <laughs> now. That was absolutely brilliant. I was wondering where you were going with that. And then uh, I got halfway through and, oh, I clocked in. I was like, oh, okay, that's where he's going with that. And uh, yeah. flying in via remote connection is Hamish. How you doing, boys? Good to have you on board, mate. Yes, I'm currently sitting in a bathroom to get away from the kids, so we'll see how last. All right, we've got a bit of football to dive through. We'll start in the junior reps and work our way up. Uh, although, because Ham was on the Gold Coast and I am still in quarantine, we didn't actually have anyone on the ground this week to watch the junior reps flag or cup, but it would have been a pretty action-packed day to try and get it all in the one, <laughs> one sitting anyway. Uh, but we'll just look at results quickly. Uh, starting with Natasha Gale, they kicked off at Kellyville Park at 11.30 a.m. on Saturday, and they absolutely pantsed the Canberra Raiders, 52-0. Not quite a point a minute, but pretty close. Um, and on the scorer's sheet, it was Talisha Maver, Rosemary Beckett, a uh, double to Ruby John Kennard, a uh, double to Patessa Leo, a double to Patalina Rotoa, and then Jacinta Tui also scoring a try. Alicia Bell going eight from nine, so close to a perfect day off the boot there. Uh, and that, that this was a fun game to follow on the updates, but they – we're just a class above, quite obviously, boys. Yeah, absolutely. Good to see him finish off the season with a huge win. And so just to confirm, they entered the round in second. Uh, there was an outside uh, a chance for them to make uh, top spot on the ladder, but it wasn't really going to happen given the Roosters were playing far too good to be, to drop a game by 30-ish points. They do finish the um, regular season in second, though, uh, with the third best for and against uh, so yeah, they're, they're primed for the finals. It's really exciting. They're going to get the week off uh, for the first week because they did finish top two in the top six. Uh, and then they're going to take on the winner of either, the, I'm not sure which the bracketing will be, but they'll take on one of the Knights, Tigers, Steelers or Dragons in week two of the finals. And moving on to the Harold Matthews. I know this one was a, a very uh, heavy handed officiated, officiated game. There was a lot of penalties in this one, but the Eels prevailing 26-16 over the Canberra Raiders. Uh, for the Eels, it was Jordan Uta, Sam Tuavadi, Matthew Arfa, Luke Maroon, and Dom Ferruja scoring. Muhammad Alamadeen was free from five. Uh, Junior Fagalele spent some time in the Sinbin in the 40th minute. Uh, but yes, this was a good win for the Eels. Uh, they'd had their spot booked into the finals, but they did have seeding as an important outcome from this game. And they actually leapfrogged the Raiders from sixth to fifth in this game, but fall just short of catching the Cronulla Sharks on four and against. So they'll be taking on... The Sharks, I think, looking at it, should be 3v6 and 4v5. So they should be playing the Sharks next week in Sudden Death Football, boys. Yeah, I agree. Really mad at yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they'll, we'll do that for the preview podcast once we look at the team. So, <coughs> excuse me. Ooh. <laughs> sounds, it sounds worse than it is. But uh, moving on to the final junior rep fixture, and this is the one team that won't be playing postseason footy. SG Ball <clears throat> falling to the Canberra Raiders, 32-26 to 26 in a very close high-scoring game for the Eels. Ibrahim Fakhri, Mark Simon, Declan Murray, and Jacob Davis all scoring. Dom Destratus handling the kicking in this game, him, and he was flawless off the tee, going 4-4 four from four for the try conversions and adding a penalty goal. Um, but yeah, the Eels falling just a little bit short of this one. And they, they finished the season off pretty well, it looks like, after a big win over the Steelers last week. 
and then a, a solid defeat here. Yeah, unfortunate season in general. Um, they just need to come back next year and uh, try better, try harder. Yes, sir. Two draws, four losses, not great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they just squandered the first half of the season with uh, a string of issues that they couldn't rectify in terms of turning the ball over and, and some weak goal line defence. Uh, and unfortunately, it came back to haunt them when the business of the season came around. Now, while that was happening, Eels also travelled up to the Central Coast to take on the Sydney Roosters in the Jersey flag. This one kicked off at 1 o'clock p.m. was originally scheduled to be at Maury Bream, but was relocated to Bill Hicks Oval in Wyong. And unfortunately for the Eels, they dropped their second straight game in the Jersey flag after a good start. Uh, but the Roosters were a ladder-leading team. Uh, but in this game, Jaden Skinner, Charlie Geimer, Nikau Raffle, and uh, Nikau Raffle scored. Ch- Josh Chappell was one from three on the tee, but they fell 36 to 14 to a pretty good uh, tricolors outfit. And that puts them, if I just quickly open up the ladder and don't click the ad, uh, actually drops them into eighth position on the ladder, although there is pretty, it's pretty congested between uh, one to eight there. Yeah, and this is a game I've got no feedback on, but when you drop, you know, a 36 to 14 loss like that, uh, you're being pretty heavily outclassed, it feels like. Yeah. Next week they come up against the uh, West Tigers team, which seems to be in the same class as them, so have they been put all together? And there was uh, quite a few uh, changes and, and ins and outs across the last two weeks for the flag. They've been far from full strength. That probably was reflected in the result this week. No Corey Fenning um, was a big loss for them. He went up to play New South Wales Cup, but they also had a tough loss too, taking on uh, another feeder team for the Roosters in the North Sydney Bears they played out at North Sydney Oval, kicking off at 5 o'clock p.m. in the evening, and they went down 30-16. to 16. Uh, The Bears blew them out of the gates 26-0 early on. I think it was Toa Mata'afa, Adam Kieran, Tom Carr, uh, all scoring with Kieran and Carr getting doubles, and that sort of put the game almost beyond reach in the opening exchanges. They did fight back to get to 26-10 at halftime, care of a Kamalafi double, uh, but with both teams adding just a one try each, either side of halftime, sorry, on the other side of halftime, um, they couldn't bridge the gap falling 14 points short. And yeah, unfortunate for the Eels, but they, they were actually quite a few men down in this game. No Ophie Ogden, no Hayes Perham. Uh, they've had some changes in the back line uh, in general because they have Matt Conlife playing up for his second game, Max Lehman as well. So just the, the resources starting to get stretched thin. There was no Mitch Rain uh, at dummy half. So some big losses there and, and up against a team that was undefeated at the time, it would prove to be too much. And uh, once again, we didn't get a chance to look at this game. So don't really know the tale of the tape. Uh, but that is how the cookie crumbled. Which brings us on to the main event, boys, the one we actually all got to see. Just before you got to that one, I was, I was just going to say, we'll save it for the preview pod, but we come up against a uh, winless Western Suburbs um, this week. So, Bertie, as much as you want to harp on about the West Tigers being uh, winless in the top grade, they're also winless in their reserve grade. So things are, they don't have any reserves to score upon. The, the Togadas El Dusas, oh, what is, I forgot what it is already. <laughs> You missed my Spanish interpretation earlier. <laughs> uh, Bertie harnessing the power of Google Translator. Lo, los Tigres del Usto son cero y cinco. Bloody hell. <laughs> that long and winding road takes us to 7.35pm on Saturday night where the Eels travelled to Seabus Super Stadium to take on the Gold Coast Titans. Two teams had already met in round one, so it was a very short turnaround in the context of the NRL season. Eels prevailed by four points in round one in a... Uh, High-scoring first half and torrid second half. And then in this game, they prevailed by six points in a dominant first half. And then uh, an interesting second half that we'll break down, I'm sure. Uh, But 26-20 to the blue and gold. For the Titans, it was a Philip, Sammy, Aaron Clark, David Vita, Greg Marju scoreboard with Toby Sexton going two from four. And for the Eels, 
Quentin Gufferson napping a double, Bailey Simonson getting his first try as an eel, Ryan Madison and Dylan Brown sealing the deal in the 71st minute with Moses going three from five, Junior Paulo spending some time in the sim bin, we'll talk about that, I am certain. Uh, in terms of the team stats here, boys, uh, possession slightly favoring the Eels, 52 to 48%. Time possession plus two minutes, give or take for Parramatta. Both teams completing quite effectively, 81% for the Titans, 80% for the Eels. And then the Eels ahead most key attacking stats, uh, runs, run meters, uh, tackle breaks, uh, post-contact meters, line breaks for a piece. Average play of the ball speed, a rare triumph for the blue and gold. 3.1 seconds for Parramatta versus 3.65 for the Titans. And that was probably reflective of that first half where we were just having our way through the middle. Uh, but looking down there, Titans diffused the kicks more yeah, effectively, yeah. which is something that really popped up on the screen for me early on. I felt like Gufferson wasn't quite on the same page. Or not maybe not early on, but once we had those backline reshuffles with Tom Opachuk out there, uh, we weren't quite taking ownership of those clearing kicks as we could have. Uh, both teams defended quite well. Ninety, Just under 91% effective tackle rate for the Titans. 91.23% for the Eels. Missed tackles down to 17 for Parramatta this week. Vast improvement on those early uh, rounds where we are talking about 40-plus missed tackles. Uh, in terms of negative plays, the one that really jumps off the page was 10 penalties to one in favour of the Titans. Just blows my mind that the game went that way. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, the team stats there. Eels used their full uh, suite of interchanges, and it's no surprise given the injuries they had to navigate in the first half. In terms of the, the player stats, big game from Reagan Campbell-Gillard. He really jumps off the page. Quinton Gufferson, outstanding too. Uh, but across the forward pack, Junior Paulo, 225 metres, uh, just trailing Reg at 241. You had Ice at 100, 189 metres, Brownie at 181, Ryan Madison, 127. And then across the back line, uh, Will Penasini and Bowie Simonson, 119, 133 metres respectively. So some good involvement there across the forwards and the backs, boys. Uh, where do we want to start with the breakdown of this game? Because there is a lot to talk about. Um, that first I'll start just with an apology. I, uh, I turned the game on at 20 to nil up. Um, so I apologise on behalf of everybody. Uh, I was in the middle of watching Amish. the little rascals with the little ones. Oh, so it was you. It was you. God, it was all me. Sorry. Oh, so I can't blame the referees anymore. Jeez. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that first half we were so dominant. Even sort of going into the second half, we started off the, that ten minute period. We were just really dominant. Um, I don't know whether you know. We'll probably talk about the refereeing later. But I just thought. I thought it was going to end up being like the Dragons game where we were so dominant, we were so controlled in that opening 40, and then we were just going to open them up um, in the second half, and then uh, situations happened and we weren't able to do that. Um, in the end, we were we were showed resilience to, um, to not lose this game, and uh, a lot of things did not go our way, whether it be um, shuffling players in the back line, uh, losing players, losing the penalty count, that wasn't all the referees' fault. Uh, we kicked out on the full, um, and you know, little penalties here and there. Um, so yeah, I just it, it was disappointing that we didn't go away with it, especially when I thought we would. But it's always good to get a win, um, especially when we've got a lot of uh, cards dealt against us. Bertie, uh, we spoke about jumping out to that twenty nil lead. What did you like about that first half domination from the blue and gold? I mean, you look at the first set, right? I, I've never seen a game of football where. Every every time we made a run, we the by the time the contact had happened from the defense line, we were like eight meters upfield. Like I just walking over the advantage line without getting touched. Like it was we were on record pace for having what I think it was like two thousand meters at the full time break. Like I just we had a thousand at half time. Like <clears throat> the times were in it. 
you know, there's a, there's a clear difference between ability between the two teams, you know. You can, you know, harp on about Tino being a good forward and Dave Fita being a line, you know, you know, one of the best forwards. Like, look at us. Reg, man, Reg played the whole 40 and how they got tackled. Like, <clears throat> you know, you, you look at the two games we've versed in this year, besides one run in each game for Fafita, he's been quiet, you know. And if you're paying him a million dollars a year to make two one runs, good luck. But, yeah, our forwards, you know, Brad Arthur, ever since the um the Sharks game, he's got the forwards revved up every week. You know, we've bashed every team. And, um, yeah, I was pretty happy for it. Excuse me, he's just trying to knock cough into the microphone. No, that's a good point, Bertie, that the forwards have certainly stepped up to the challenge and they had to deal with a lot in their plate in this game. Obviously, the middles just did a good job in general. Uh, Reg and Junior were phenomenal. Brownie outstanding too. Uh, but you look at what happened in the back line. It was shades of that Melbourne Storm finals game. Uh, was it 2020 or 2021? Uh, where we had the double back line re- uh, reshuffle. Uh, we had uh, one uh, It was 2020 because uh, Michael Jennings was still playing. Yeah, we had, uh, we had in this game... Uh, Wanga Blake do what we now believe is an MCL injury, hopefully a low grade, but in the first half, forcing a reshuffle of Tom Opajic going in the wing and then Bryce Cartwright coming off the bench into the centre role that uh, Tom had just vacated. And then after that, at the end of the half, uh, end of the half or just before the end of the half, uh, Will Penasini had a, a concussion check for, he didn't really seem concussed, but got thrown into the HIA and we then had to put Ryan Madison out to the centre spot and I think it was Makahesi Makatoa that came onto the edge there. So, the, the pack was uh, very, uh, very good in, in terms of not just its contributions to its traditional roles, but being able to plug the gaps across the back line for the Eels. And I think that that resilience really shone through across this entire contest because uh, the, the shit went sideways in the second half. The Eels barely got to touch the ball. Every bounce went the way of the Gold Coast. There was a number of uh, cynical uh, penalties in order to uh, get what were miscaused, to be fair, but the, the, it was actually... It was actually uh, outed by Annesley this week that they would not tolerate the use of cynical penalties in order to get reviews. And yet here we are where they tolerated the use of cynical penalties to get reviews. So, yeah, very happy with what the Ford Pack did, boys. Um, where else do we want to go to on this uh, exploration of the six-point victory? Who who stood out? Is there any controversial topics? Bowie, Bowie Simonson. Bowie Simonson? Yeah, yeah that's a good call. Yeah. Best, game. Best game since he's been to the club. Yeah, Bowie uh, was very good in this game. A lot, lot of post-contact meters, scored his first try. It was a good one too. Um, I think, yeah, what, what really stood out was his ability to push through meters and also just that little uh, shimmy that he had before contact to get outside the initial tackler and create some opportunities out wide. I think we ended up having a nice little attack uh, in the first half where he managed to get into midfield and, and link up with support down the left. So very good to see Bowie starting to find his feet <laughs> in a time where we we do not have any healthy wingers left outside of him um it, it is just as well where he he has found his feet at the club and can hopefully build on that yeah it's good that you mentioned um those returns you you know he just seemed to prior to this round he seemed to be playing wanting to play the power game like blake ferguson used to but that's not bailey simonson at the moment bailey simonson's quick he's agile he's he bounces off tackles and you know even if it might only make an extra meter or whatever i'd rather him go searching for those gaps like he did. I'd rather him try and use his speed to get around the opposition to try and force, because it shows that he's trying to do something different, not just, oh, we need you to, I need to make meters here. I'm just going to hit it straight up into the, the defense. You know, if, if he's searching for something, it also gives you time um, for players to get back. So, you know, that extra second or two that he's bouncing around off tackles looking for a hole or a gap, that's giving our forwards time to get back and, you know, punch some more meters out. Yep, exactly. Um, but yeah, what what a what a time for Bowie to come good. And I mean, I don't think we anyone been on the podcast have been really you know trying to 
get his number dragged or anything like that. But amongst fans, there was a bit of a sentiment in certain corners that we needed to have him moved on or, or dropped out of the team. And it's very, you know, it doesn't have to take long to go back to think of a, a certain player that is now a captain at the club that had a, a rough few outings on the wing uh, before he found his feet. And sometimes that move to a different club doesn't happen seamlessly and you don't hit the ground running in your best footy. Uh, but for Bailey, it looks like he is coming good and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do against the West Tigers on Easter Monday. Uh, um, but, I don't remember Junior Paulo playing on the wing for us. What? No, that that was uh, – he, he had his headgear <laughs> on for that one. That's why you didn't remember it. Uh, but, yeah, obviously uh, Clinton Gufferson had uh, had some very vocal critics when he first uh, made his jump to the Eels and uh, has you know just gone from strength to strength from there. And, you know, not to say Bailey's going to have the same career path as Guffo, but, you know, sometimes you just need a little bit of patience uh, as a player finds his feet at a new home. And just looking at the numbers, boys uh, – you know, there was across the park. We mentioned the forwards. I thought the halves were quite good again. Uh, it wasn't as uh, eye popping numbers as we've seen from Dylan in, in the first few games or first month of football. But he still scored a try, set up a try. Uh, it's, such, it's such an odd game to talk about because, like, so, sorry, to, sorry, to no, no, really no. I want you to jump in and, and hit me with um, talking points. Like, that's it. it's such a hard game to talk about because we were just dominating, and then you know we, we, we are at the moment beating around the bush and like not addressing the elephant in the room because we want to talk about it and everything. But at the same time, like, I, I, I you know, I, I've gone off on Twitter, I've gone off on our Discord, but I don't want to talk about it because, you know, as Brad Arthur said, the, the players have to enjoy the win and I want to enjoy the win. Yeah. And uh, I know that yesterday when I was coming home from the game that I, I found myself torn. Like, I was happy that we won, but I was just so mad at the game that, like, I don't understand how all these things could have happened, and yet Parramatta still up, win by six, and I'm just I was conflicted. It was it's a really weird feeling, and it's a weird feeling talking about it because you know we should. Regan Campbell Gillard had probably his best game since that uh, game he played 80 minutes against Manly, was it? Mm-hmm. Um, Junior Paulo was a beast, even though uh, he was sinbin and now has been charged. Um, Papali is showing his. You know, a bit of form from last year. That those sweet plays that we're putting on, where the centres coming in on the inside run, and we're sweeping around with the second row. We've been we've been doing it on both sides of the field, and that's a really nice play because even if you don't score the try, you're getting one on one with the opposition, and it's 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 a hard play to def. I, you know, I haven't looked at it def- from a defensive point of view, but at least for the Titans, it was hard to defend because we scored two tries from it. Yeah, and um, you know, speaking of that sweet play, Ryan Madison starting to come back into his prime too. He's looking really good. So there is a lot of positive in this game that you could go and, and dissect. And and even looking at the negatives, you can still spin a lot of positive from that because when the the Titans had a flight of possession, the Eels' defense by and large still had its uh, integrity not questioned too bad. Outside of the David Fafita try and maybe the the Greg Marshu try, there was a try, a try for kick where Bowie Simonson had to make a double uh, defensively and, and couldn't get back in time positionally and then there was another kick where brownie got pushed in the back that the bunker didn't seem to, to care about and that's what sparked that little chain event where gufferson couldn't get the ball down um so i, I think that yeah even amidst all of that uh second half torrid uh play the eels did really well but yeah it's kind of hard to dance around the the bull in the room here or the bear in the room that was the officiating and, and a number of on a number of bases like not just on one but we saw we saw obviously the junior poor Simbin, which has been a point of contention across neutrals. Some people think it's a clear Simbin, if not a send off. Others think that uh, the primary point of contact was shoulder to shoulder, which then forces the head to ricochet into junior poor. So 
at what point is the burden of responsibility absolved of the tackler is, is a, you know, a question we're starting to see there. If you make legal contact, but you hit a guy so hard that he whiplashes into head to shoulder contact, it, is that just play on or is it, you know, legitimately an issue we need to talk about? Well, that's the thing. If, if we're, if we're using the NRL's uh, own reasoning behind some of the decisions they've mm-hmm. made this year, um, well, the Nas one, I don't understand that. But So the Jaden Campbell one is they've said initial point of contact is not um, uh, in, incorrect. Well, the initial point of contact for Junior Paulers is not correct because he hits him on the shoulder. Um, his intent is not to shoulder charge. You can see his arms are wrapping or attempting to wrap around. No, it's not the tucked, the, which is the, the conventional, I call it one of the most, uh, what's it called, uh, the trigger or, or red flags for a shoulder charge is when you have that arm cocked in or loaded in. Yeah, and so I just, you know, it is what it is, but like, yeah. I don't understand how, by the NRL's reasoning on admittedly different uh, foul play, but you know, if you're using it for that one, for that type of foul play, well, then it should be also used for this type of foul play. And it's just they're not using their same uh, legitimacy. Like they're trying to legitimise this. You know, it's just all over the place. And like, as an Eels fan, if even you saw um, Brimson, he wasn't staying down for a penalty. He just got absolutely demolished. His shoulders got rearranged. Forty kilos heavier than him, yeah. <laughs> and like, I mean, of and, course, his shoulders going to hurt. This is where the second controversy comes out about the incident. Uh, Brimson made a clear point to indicate that he was it was shoulder shoulder contact, and his shoulder was sore. And wh- whether that was in order, you know, to to give time to heal from an actual injury, which wouldn't be surprised because Junior Paul whacked that shoulder real hard, or to avoid going to the HIA. Well, I don't know, but. The fact that the bunker said that there was deliberate and forceful contact to the head, which warranted the sin bin, but then the doctor in the bunker did not see deliberate and, uh, and uh, forceful contact to the head to warrant a HIA is uh, concerning. The fact that we can have two arms of the bunker operating in complete opposite directions on something as important as player well-being and sin binning for both, on, on, on both sides of that coin because you're talking about the integrity of a result and the integrity of a player's health, the two, you know, two of the most important things in the game. And they seem to be acting in contradiction here. I don't understand it. And it just seems to be getting more and more obvious. And it just seems to be getting worse and worse. I mean, they missed the Pedrick Herbert on Opacic. Well, that, like, that, that, that I, is I, where I, I was going to go too, is that there was also, there was two incidents with Herbert and Opacic actually. There was the one in the in goals where Opa got clobbered across the jaw. And there was one on half time where he got uh, thrown past the horizontal, I thought, on a back slam. Uh, Suplex City, man. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> that the uh, officials just ha- were happy to breeze past. And yeah, it's so it's just the inconsistency of the bunker, which its literal mission statement was to have the same people manning the bunker throughout the entire day of games in order to have consistency of judgment across the same things that happen in games. And instead, within the same game, we're just getting wildly inconsistent uh, uh, results on on very similar incidents. And I do not understand how I can get it so wrong. Anyway, that was one of the one of the big dramas, kind of that one, boys. Uh, I don't know what. <laughs> It's hard to – I know, and you, you made a great point, him about what Brad said, and I strongly encourage people to watch that presser because Brad was zen. He, I, I was actually surprised at how relaxed he was. Um, it, it, it's a very uh, – it gives a lot of clarity, I think, as a fan to watch that presser and just see how in control this team is of their own uh, emotional well-being right now uh, when it comes to playing football, and, and that's probably a big indicator of why we're going so well. Uh, that even you know after a loss like that, they're a bit disappointed, and, and coaches tell them you've got to enjoy it. But Brad himself isn't stressed. You know he, he says we're playing good football, we're dealing with the injuries, 
dealing with a bit of controversy here and there. But you know, we're just we're controlling what we we can control, and that's why we're four from five and could have easily been five from five. I will say um, before we move on, there's one contra- well not controversial, but one thing sliding into our game. I'm not a fan of. It's a seven tackle resets that we're gifting opposition. Like you look at the last two games, I think we've given close to eight now. And this is not like kicking the ball there. This is like the kicking it and the opposition catching it in goal. Like for God's sake, I think Wallace almost caught one. You know, Ben hunted it last week. Like we're giving opposition's leg ups, and you know, you can penalties. You can you're gonna get penalties whether whether you like it or not. But we can control that with the kicks in, in goals. And if you look at like if we need to cut that out of the game, you know, maybe two max a game, but. That's slowly creeping into our game, the seven tackle resets. Yeah, there was one there, um, I believe it was in the second half, Birdie. Uh, Tom Opicic got very, very close to scoring, and the ball went to Dillon on the last. And he put in this weird kick. It wasn't big enough to contest, and it was just sort of just Loaded. slightly above crossbar height. And it was just like, like, you know, that's sort of, I suppose, the next step of Dillon's game is, and as you know, it's our short kicking game at the moment. It, it seems a bit too predictable. No, I think that's fair. Is that it's also made a bit more difficult when you've you've lost some of those big boys out of the side. You know, I think Laney and Wanga are the two big targets for those sort of short kicks over the top, and when they're not there, it's pretty hard to contest. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, a good point. true. Very good point, Hamish. Even the even the Cook Island was it Cook Island cell tower was it Brad Takarangi? You yeah, know, Cook he Island was tower, he was yeah. a gun. He was another one that we loved to target for those kicks. Exactly. Yeah. Even Jenko, for you know, for a midget, oh, sorry, for a short guy, he, he got in the air. Like, and I'm thinking, like, if Penasini can do that, man, oh, you know, aerial threats galore. Yeah, well, that's the thing now. Like, um, if we don't have those big guys, just put the ball along the ground. Because yeah. even if, even if you know, you don't get a try from it, there's a high chance of them knocking the ball on because the ball's rolling around, going could go anywhere. You can smash them as soon mm-hmm. as they get the ball and potentially force a goal and drop it out. You know, and best case scenario, you you are going to get a, a try from it. Whereas you put these weird kicks up where they don't really do anything. For the most part, they're just going to be caught by the opposition and give away a seven-tackle set on along the 20. And it's going to be a quick tap because everyone's behind the behind the 20-meter line. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. You know, in that situation, I would prefer Dill, even if you just took it to the line. Take it to the line, get tackled. Because they've, got to, they've then got to play the ball where you get tackled. If you get tackled one meter out... They got to play the ball from there. Then you can get up and smash them in defence. Yeah. Whereas you give away that seven tackle set, you're giving away a quick tab. You're on the back foot that entire set. It swings the momentum easily. Like that's like the biggest momentum swing in the game. Seven tackle set. You started from the twenty, and then it's just yeah. Before you know it, it's tackle two on your fifty meter line. It's just uh. So no, that's fair, boys, and it's definitely probably the last bit of polish that this halves combination needs because otherwise they're just killing it. But uh, let's talk the fallout from this game. Now, we mentioned Junior Paulo getting sin-binned. He's now being charged for grade two dangerous uh, contact, I think it is, or dangerous tackle. And he is facing uh, one to two games, two games if he fights and loses, one if he takes the early guilty plea. Uh, given our track record of the judiciary and fighting charges, particularly in regards to Junior Paulo, you have to think they'd consider taking the early guilty plea, right? Yeah, look, we're only playing the Tigers next week. We all we hope, well, not hopefully, but we probably all saw what they put up today. Um, I think we could probably put, uh, I don't know, I don't want to, you could probably put me in there <laughs> and I would roll through them. <laughs> Actually, uh, how fast are you, Birdie? Pretty quick. Well, you know, on my pro day, I run a 40 yard in a 4-4. Okay, okay. Well, I'll go prob. You're on the wing and we'll see how we go from there. But I've got the Posca out. I can just get the wall paint ready. I'll be there. I'll knock them out one day. <laughs> uh, so we're going to have to fill a hole there, but that's relatively straightforward given what the Eels have in the forward stocks and given that, 
we seem to think Murata Niokoro should be back into the fold next week. He was part of the extended roster for this game, uh, but did not play. But the bigger problem here is Wunga Blake, who we have a, a suspected MCL or medial uh, knee injury. And uh, we're hoping that it's low grade. We haven't got any confirmation of scan, from scans yet. But the fact that it was on the sideline and it wasn't heavily uh, being treated to, if he was just sitting there, uh, just chilling, should hopefully indicate that it's to the lower grade level. So maybe two to three weeks. But that means we've got to find another bloody winger. And um, no, 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 we're not going to call it wingers anymore because every time we say wingers, they get injured. We're just going to call them out white guys because I just <laughs> I'm being serious. Name another team that had losers. So first off, we lost Sivo last year. Okay. We can plan for that, right? We've got the whole offseason. We lose Hayes in the trial, trial one. We lose Russell game one. You know, Wonga Blake's out there fitting in. Like, he's just there for, like, an emergency. He gets injured. Bailey Simonson does his shoulder, almost does his shoulder. I just feel as though we've, you know, we've, we've bad luck, bad juju. Like, burn the jerseys, do whatever you want. Like, put all fours in the back line. It's just, I, I've never seen a, a, a carnage at this. Like, we had we had a hooker problem last year. And now we have a winger problem. Seriously. But in light of the... Yeah, in the number two jersey as well. Yeah, it's just oh. a lot deeper, I there think. There you go. The curse too. And it's the one side of the field. It's the one closest to the bench side. It's not the other. Like, it's always in the first half. I don't get it. <laughs> but uh, in light of, of Wang's situation and planning for a good or even a medium, you know, sort of outlook, you know, between two to say four weeks out, where do we look at this point, boys? It's usually about six to eight for MCL, isn't it? It's a grade three would be six to eight. Uh, if it's grade, well, grade one, you'll get two to three, and then grade two would be obviously uh, sort of four to six. Well, after well, the Tigers going around on it, so fingers crossed that, you know, he was running around on it. He didn't have any ice on it and no strapping on it at the end of the game. So hopefully, you know, we're looking at grade one, at worst, a grade two, fingers crossed. But that does leave us without a winger for the foreseeable future. Uh, at least in the short term. Uh, where do we Well, after the, after the West Tigers game, we play on a Sunday, so it's a 15-day break from the Titans game. So, you know, maybe... Like, I feel as though he might be better. Like, as he said, he played on it, but 15-day break between the Titans. Like, let's just say Junior, you know, we accept the one game plan. He'll be fresh for that, and hopefully, you know, Wonga Blake's all right after 15 days. Wait, um, 15, it, 15 days to the next game? Oh, sorry. So, if... So if so Wonga Blake's going to miss this week, right? Okay. okay. If he misses no, no, the West no, Tigers game, no, I understand what you're from saying. Titans to because yeah. we play um, who do we play that? I think we play the Knights. The no, Knights. We play the Knights on a Sunday, yeah. so that's 15 days since he heard it. You know, that's why I'm thinking like. Now I understand what you're saying. You see, they need to fill the gap for one game. Yeah, fill the yeah, fill the you know, fill the gap for one game. So for that one game, it's up against the West Tigers, and you don't want to you know get too far ahead of you know just throwing a, a any sort of living body on the on the wing and then, we don't call it the wing, but on the sideline and. Uh, and making it do there. But our options, Hayes Perham, Zach Sini, Samuel Loizu. Where are you leaning, Ham? Where are you leaning, Birdie? I'll let Ham go first. <laughs> I, I, I hope it's Hayes Perham because I think he's done really well um, in reserve grade and, you know, he deserved that 18th man spot. And now that he's uh, got the opportunity, I, put, he be, I believe that he does deserve that uh, wing spot. He's earned it. Um, sorry, not deserved. Yeah, he has earned that wing spot through his performances so far in reserve grade. Uh, this year and last year. A lack of experience um, on the wing is concerning, although I will say that you're right about Hayes being ostensibly the next man up in terms of earning that role. But If we are worried about experience, especially just in first grade in general, would another option be Tom Opacic, Opacic out onto the wing and then we can either pick Bryce Cartwright, Ryan Madison, uh, 
Zaxini. Murata if he's uh, available. Murata if he's available to play in the centre. It might not be the strike weapon that we need out on, on the flanks, but it, it, that, that's also another option that we might even look to uh, look for. I think the one that's going to be the, the, the smallest liability under the high ball and under that clearing kick sort of set of responsibilities would be important. So, you know, we saw a little bit of miscommunication between uh, Opacic and Gufferson across the course of that Titans game, but it was also a, a role he was thrown to in the heat of the battle. So, yeah, I don't know. This is tough, and this is going to be the question that really defines the team was Tuesday uh, in the next couple of days. I mean, I think I think you have to go Hayes because, you know, he, he, he's essentially the next guy up, you know. Um, unless, unless Brad Arthur feels like being, you know, throwing Zach Sini for a revenge game, I don't know. You know, we're down to winger four and five on our depth chart, essentially, or whatever it is. Yeah, so, like, and this, this is not how you draw it up at the start of a season. Yeah. I'll tell you that. And it, and even if you move Oppa, you're going to bring in who you're going to bring in the centers. You're going to bring in a guy off an injury who hasn't played all year in Murata. You're going to bring in Bryce Cartwright, or you're going to bring in what Sam Luizu? Like, it, it's not going. Whoever you put to play on the wing or center is they're going to be either coming from an injury or less experienced. So, I'd give it to Hayes. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I don't mind that. I've been leaning towards Zaxini, but uh, that would also require dispensation from the NRL because he's outside the top 30. I have to imagine they'd give it to you given the crisis that is unfolding there in that position. So, yeah, I think I think Perrin is definitely the leader uh, in terms of uh, any sort of betting market, but I wouldn't be surprised if Arsini or even Loizu feature as well. Um, I reckon we can sign someone Well, there was a bit. Tomorrow. There was a little bit of uh, gossip care of the internet that uh, Esan Masters might have – Signed, but this was just on uh, League Unlimited, so I'm not sure how much credence goes into that rumor. But obviously, he'd be a very handy pickup right now, even if he isn't a specialist winger. Well, that's the thing. Even in that position, you could probably, for, if it's just for makeshift for one or two games, you could probably put Opacic, who does yeah. have, be going to have problems anyway because you, you are. Well, regardless most who's players going haven't there. trained in that position, like. But Opacic is a guy that can follow a game plan, and obviously will will be very diligent in his preparation given the circumstances. Yeah, so that's that's the big one there, boys. Um, I, I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see what Tim was Tuesday bears with us, which is going to be exciting. But, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about from the game, from the round. Uh, uh, no, not, not not preview. I see that the, the Panthers are currently leading 26 to 12. Wow, imagine. Um, 32 to 12, my oh, NRL.com just, just updated. Ticked yeah. over. I agree with Ham that the Gold Coast Titans are an irrelevant franchise now. It's only taken me, what, six years to hate them again? <laughs> but, um, they are. They are. The stadium's out of the way from every, or at least from where I was staying. I was staying down at Coolangatta. It was it was out of the way for me to get there. Um, it was my it was a hindrance to me, and that's why you know just get rid of them. Just get rid of them. <laughs> what was the bigger hit, Junior Paul, Junior Paolo's, or the streaker? Because I'm sure the streaker. Oh, don't don't even get me started on the controversy around the streaker tackling someone too hard. Mate, oh, chicken ribs, man. That's oh. the thing. Like I used I used to play in a band, and if any punter. Got up on the stage. It was an absolute free for I could kick the shit out there on my place of work. That is that is yeah. And and we, we've seen enough in the past in professional sports. You, you know, look back to Monica Sellis in tennis. All it takes is one insane person on the field that smuggles in some sort of weapon, and someone's going to get seriously hurt. And that that is literally security's job to disarm and 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 uh, uh, capture anyone that invades the pitch. Don't I mean, the Sharks game, the person brought a flare. It's not a weapon, yeah. but still, they brought a flare. How are you yeah. getting a flare in the game? You know, it's not a Wanderers game, for God's sake. <laughs> exactly, mate. So I feel bad for the security guard. Oh, 100%. He did, he did his job. He did the exact right thing. Um, 
pitch invasions need to stop, whether it be uh, because you think it's funny, whether you are trying to do a political message, whatever. Don't do it. It's not that's not your platform to yep. to do that. Exactly, and it's it's unfair on players because what what happens if that tackles Mitchell Moses? What if mm. Mitchell Moses makes that tackle to make sure that you know nobody gets hurt in that instance? Yeah. Well, he, you see his reaction, man. Oh, yeah. it was like everyone's reaction. Yep. Yeah, that was a, a humorous moment in the game. Mitch sharing that little reaction with the referee there, <laughs> as it um it occurred what about five minutes away from him. But yeah, so I'm, I'm just glad us being a small team, you know, getting no penalty count, we finally get a win. <laughs> well, shout out Not to Josh Drayton who had some good sass on Twitter. <laughs> oh man, him and Guffo dropping more shade and pressure than Brad Uff in the last five years. <laughs> I'll I'll be getting some clarity. That's the king speaking. <laughs> and I think that's a, a good place to wrap it all up, boys. Is there anything you want to talk about before we sign off? Um, uh, not not to get too political, but the uh, federal election. Oh yeah, called it was today. announced today. Yep, that's good. Good for the twenty first of May. So uh, if you are not biggest thing. signed up to vote, yeah. make sure you are signed Sign up. Sign up, vote. get informed. Make sure you're not you know just voting blind. Don't that, that's the big thing I think is just get informed and then yep. make an informed decision. No so. political affiliations. I have very strong political val- uh, opinions, but I will not put them out here. I will just say, make sure that you are informed and you are voting who you believe is right to vote for. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot on the table this year, isn't it, Ham? Given that the cost of living is uh, approaching backbroking, backbroking, backbreaking uh, <laughs> numbers for a lot of families across Australia. So yeah, just you know, once again, this is why don't just go out voting, voting blindly one way or the other. Get informed, have a read. And and don't just listen to uh, political talk. Heads. Yeah, political talk heads because they they, <laughs> they have an agenda, you know, and yeah. they will be angling discussion to suit their agenda. So yeah. Anyway, that's a good place to wrap it up because uh, but responsibilities are uh, both short term and long term voting and at home as well. So let's get it all tidied up and we'll catch you guys in the preview edition on Tuesday. See you in a couple of days. Go para. Ciao ciao. Nice. We raise our voices to the sky.